Welcome. It's time to elevate your consciousness and tune in. This is Mastermind with your host, Dr. Rebecca. This show is about possibilities. If you're successful, ready, and highly motivated to make the necessary changes in your life, we'll provide the tools, direction, and encouragement to help you along the way. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca. Welcome back to Mastermind. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca. The Mastermind show is about expanding possibilities, shattering boundaries, and looking at previous walls of limitation and finding ways to insert doors and windows so you can step right on through. So, last week, for many of you, was an introduction to the world of hypnosis. You entered nervously and a bit skeptically at first, um, but... You offered us your attention and you offered us your trust. And at the end, you emerged with a brand new skill that you can continue to develop. So this week, Dr. Holly Forster Miller is back to talk to us, healthcare professionals, about how to use hypnotic language effectively in clinical practice. So for doctors, dentists, PAs, nurses, nurse practitioners, respiratory therapists, the list goes on. I can't name everybody, but all of these people will benefit from this show. And really, if you are as creative and perceptive as I know you to be, you can translate this information to whatever your professional field is. So welcome back, Dr. Holly Forster-Miller. Hi, thank you. So let's set the stage. Last week, we learned about the trance state or an altered state of consciousness. Are people really in trance when they enter the doctor's office? Well, some are, some aren't. It depends Mm -hmm. on on their journey getting there. Okay. So what circumstances might um, happen to allow a person to be in trance when they first enter the doctor's office? Well, if somebody has um, had a long trip, a long drive to get there, they might get there and and be in a bit of a trance. Um, If somebody is worried about what the doctor's going to tell them and they've been sort of waiting to get test results, they may actually be in a trance state. And the way one would know that would be... um, that sort of glazed-over look, if you're mm-hmm. talking to a patient and they have that sort of deer-in-the-headlights look about them, that's a good sign that they're in trance. And, and sometimes they may not be in trance and then get a diagnosis, and based on uh, the severity of the diagnosis and their sort of emotional reaction to it, that might go into a trance. So, for example, when somebody uh, goes in and gets a cancer diagnosis... A lot of times they just sort of glaze over once they hear the word cancer and don't hear anything else the doctor really says after that much because they've mm-hmm. just sort of gone zoned out and into a, a trance state. Right. And we do learn it's good to bring somebody to medical appointments. A lot of times we, especially when receiving news, I've experienced that where I'm talking to a patient and I can just tell they're not really with me. And so it's good to have a family member or somebody there who is listening and maybe less so in a trance state so that they can be present in the moment to deliver that news later. Yeah. And I actually recommend, I work with a lot of cancer patients and I recommend that they bring somebody with them who can take notes. And even more importantly is ask the doctor if that person can record the conversation so they can listen back later to really get all the details. And every now and then a doctor will feel weird about people recording, but most often um, they, they're like, yes, please, we want you to be able to listen back and get all those details. Definitely. Definitely. I um, As long as people let me know they're recording me, I'm fine with it too. 
Yeah, because you, you really want them to hear what you're saying, and, and, you know, they don't. So going back and listening back really makes a difference. Right. So in the doctor's office, how, let's say, in, an, in a scenario where I'm going in just for a regular uh, primary care visit, and uh, my doctor is not delivering bad news, but just telling me something, like, I'm here to have a procedure, and the doctor might be prepping me for a procedure, now, we talk a lot to um, or about healthcare professionals and our language around the visit, our language when we address a patient, when we're going to do something to them or with them. Um, what is a good way to, in a scenario, I'm going to do uh, a knee injection and I'm explaining the knee injection to the patient. Is there a good way and a bad way to do that procedure? Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to tell a doctor how to do the procedure, but how to talk to somebody about the procedure. Yes, exactly. <laughs> sure. And, um, but before we even go there, if I can go back one step. Sure. Before even talking to them about, um, okay, here's what I'm going to do and explaining that, there's also the even um, how you bring up the idea of doing a procedure to start with. I'd like to just address a minute because, uh, or a moment, because a lot of times doctors will say, well, why don't we go ahead and try this? Mm-hmm. And what people don't realize is that try implies failure. And so as soon as you tell a patient, whether even it's like, okay, let's try this medication or try this antidepressant or try this antibiotic or let's try this knee procedure, as soon as you say try, at some level the person is unconsciously thinking, oh, well, they're not sure it's going to work. Right. And, and that's an important starting place because... You know, everybody has, who's had kids or been a kid, which I think covers most everybody, um, remembers that, you know, when you were told to clean your room or if you tell your kid to clean the room and, and they say, oh, I'll try, usually the parent says, no, 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 don't try. Just go do it. <laughs> okay? And we recognize and hear that that word try means it's not really going to happen. But we don't hear it when we use the word try. And so, you know, if, if, if healthcare professionals listening to this take nothing away from this, from this show today, if they stop using the word try, I would be thrilled. <laughs> because there is, you know, y'all, everybody talks about the placebo effect yeah. and um, how basically the definition of placebo is that a positive expectancy enhances and increases the possibilities of a positive outcome. Right which, by the way, medicine should embrace instead of trying to weed out of its studies. But that's another story. <laughs> but what people don't talk about is the nocebo effect. And that's where the suggestion or belief of a negative outcome enhances the possibilities of a negative outcome. So without meaning to healthcare providers when they say, oh, let's try this knee procedure, are automatically decreasing the possibility of it having a really good outcome. Hmm. So that's so that's the first starting place before you even talk about how to describe what's going to happen. Does that make sense? Right. That does make sense. And and you use the phrase positive expectancy, which is I really like it because I think that a lot of times what happens with people in the healthcare profession is that we are trained and taught to find out uh, what's wrong with people. We're we're trained to look at people and figure out what the problem is. And so a lot of times we address the patient with that lens. Um, mm-hmm. We're trying to find out how sick they are 
or trying to find out how much pain they're in. Um, the pain scale. I know right. uh, we talk a lot about the pain. Can you um, just briefly talk about the pain scale we use and, and how that we, we might kind of set patients up for failure by the way we address patients when it comes to pain? Yeah. Well, and, and, and interesting that the pain scale has changed. It used to be 1 to 10. They now say 0 to 10 at least, which is good, because it used to be right. when you, somebody came in and you said on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your pain? You've just set the possibility up for no, it's impossible to have no pain. Right. And so that makes no sense. So at least now people are saying 0 to 10, which is better. Um, but when you say, first off, your pain, what is your pain today on a scale of 0 to 10, you're now drawing attention to pain. And, you know, anyone over a certain age in life, if they stopped to see if there was pain somewhere, would find some pain somewhere. Right. You know, as we get older, there's aches or pains, and we just don't really notice them and think we just go about our day. But if you stop to look for it, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. So by asking that question in that way, you're actually drawing people's attention to pain. Um, I mean, a better question might be, you know, are you comfortable? Right. Right. And start from there. And if they say, no, I'm not, say, okay, well, where aren't you comfortable? And tell me about it. And, and mm-hmm. go and And go from there instead of directing them to find pain first. I like that because a lot of times we, we're taught to focus on the pain, but really there's often a single body part we're coming in for that's painful, a knee or a hip or a foot or whatever it is. The, the 93 or 95 or 98% of our body is actually comfortable and fine. So, exactly. yeah. So I do, yeah. I'll, I'll ask patients, how comfortable are they? Or what's your comfort level instead of what is your pain level? What's your comfort level right now? And they're exactly. kind of taken aback, but then they say, oh, and they feel better, though, when I say right. it like that. because they're focusing on the comfort. Right. You know, and so I'll, I work with a lot of chronic pain patients, and um, there's a couple things that happen in medicine that um, sometimes um, reinforce the chronic pain accidentally, so to speak, where um, doctors will have somebody keep a pain journal. Mm-hmm. And on a scale of zero to ten, every day record what their pain level is. Well, you're now starting the day looking for pain, right? And throughout the day, monitoring and looking and record. So you're drawing constant attention to pain, and when you draw that constant attention to pain, you reinforce the idea of pain being there. So when I have people that have had chronic pain come to me, um, I do two things. One, I don't ever use a zero to ten scale. I use a 0 to 100 scale because it has more mm. flexibility in it. But mm. I'll say on a 0 to 100 scale, what's your comfort level right now? Okay. And so if somebody has an elbow that's hurting or a shoulder or something like that, and they look and they say, oh, my comfort level. And they say, well, I guess it's about an 80% mm-hmm. or an 80, because lots of people will take that 100 and automatically make it a percent. So it's kind of a familiar scale to us. Well, I guess my comfort level is like around an 80 because they're looking now at their whole body and not just the pain area. Well, it's a whole lot easier than to help them to deal with a change, adapt that 20 and reduce it. And if you just said to them on a scale of 0 to 10, what's your pain? And they're like, oh, my God, it's an 8. My elbow is so sore, it's an 8. It's it's shifting the focus in a very different Mm -hmm. way that helps them to really... Um, be be more comfortable in their everyday being, and, and their that everyday brings looking. 
Yeah, that brings up another point, shifting the focus. So a lot of this is within uh, the person's control as well. You talked about someone with chronic pain and waking up and anticipating pain and, and waiting to feel pain because they're keeping a pain journal. In uh-huh. the same way, they can by shifting their focus and maybe keeping a comfort journal, which still gives the doctor just as much information. So if somebody right. comes to the comfort journal, I still know how often they're in pain and how much they're comfortable, but it sets the person up to feel comfort and focus on comfort and how good things are as opposed to right. how bad. And what, and what I find over time is their comfort level just continually increases. Because what you focus on expands. Exactly. I, w- I always tell people the analogy is what you water grows. Definitely. You know, what you're putting that, what you're feeding grows or what you're watering, whatever you're putting that attention on, it gets nurtured and grows. And so do you want to nurture the comfort or do you want to nurture the pain? Right. So and you mentioned something a little, uh, a little while back when you were talking. Uh, you used the phrase that a lot of uh, patients use and sometimes doctors use it too. It's called... When people talk about my pain or my diabetes or my depression, I'd like to, and and we only have a few minutes before break, so we won't have time to really get into it. We probably have about four or so minutes before break, Uh, but I'd like to talk about that next just a little bit because because for, for me to have somebody identify with pain or identify with their diagnosis, I think, also is a contributing factor to how well or how poorly they're doing. Yeah, well, I can, if I can speak to that just quickly with yeah. the break, is that um, I talk to both patients and doctors, nurses, PAs, whenever I'm doing trainings, um, about the difference between my slash your versus the. Mm-hmm. So what is the pain level you're experiencing today instead of what is your pain level? Because as soon as you say to somebody, your, or somebody says, or my pain, or my cancer, my is something that I own, and you know, people want to keep stuff. They don't want to give it theirs. Right. It's just this ownership that lets them hold on to it, where instead of, and I talk to patients about saying, well, the cancer that I had was, or the cancer, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm dealing with is, rather than my cancer, and doctors, the cancer, or the pain, it actually sets up a, a a shift and a little bit of a dissociation, separating the pain or the disease from the patient. And that little bit of dissociation is an initial step in actually reducing the problem. Right. Putting it separate. Right. So I'm I'm a separate person from whatever this condition is that's also present, but it's not mine. It's not part of me. Exactly. And I don't have to deal with it every minute of every day. It's not me. Right. It's it. So when we come back from break, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this idea of dissociating from medical diagnoses and how this can actually help people to heal. I am talking to Dr. Holly Forrester-Miller, and you're listening to Mastermind. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Are you ready to be fabulous? You know, science has proven that women thrive in a tribe together. 
And now we invite you to join two fierce females, otherwise known as Sheila and Sarah, as they help you take the journey from flat to fabulous. It's fun, terrific stories and wise insight every week. Take better control of your life. Tune in every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time for Life from Flat to Fabulous on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Create happiness now. There's a new force to be reckoned with in talk radio. It's not just talk radio. Hosted by LaTanya Jr. and co-host Tina Wynn and Tony Brown. Not Just Talk Radio is like a superhero. Inspiring, problem-solving, and informing. Packed with action-provoking conversations from news, movements, and social and politics issues. This program is about a wide range of voices and fresh points of view from experts, celebrities, and you, the listener. Not Just Talk Radio is broadcast live Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Change can be a scary thing. It's way too easy to stay inside your comfort zone. But the world is changing, and that's not going to stop without adapting yourself to the rest of life is just selling yourself short. Join Sandra Hill every week for Grow Your Voice, Overcome Your Fears. You gain insight with expert guests, experiences, and tools to help you navigate the change and perhaps even welcome it. Listen live on Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Mastermind with Dr. Rebecca. To reach out to us during the live show, please call in to 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's one 866 Four seven two five seven nine five, or you can send an email to Dr. Huey at lifthealing.com. Now back to Mastermind. And welcome back to Mastermind. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca, and we are here with Dr. Holly Forrester Miller. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about language around medical conditions that people might have or be experiencing when people talk about my pain or my diabetes or my high blood pressure and how by shifting and saying the it, it perform it, it gives us a separation between this condition that someone might have and the person themselves so they no longer own this condition but it's something that might just be present in their lives and so um, and this little bit of the dis- dissociation Dr. Forrester Miller was telling us is, is helpful tell us a little bit more about that yeah well Dissociation is a a hypnotic phenomena. It's something that can happen with hypnosis, and we can use it as a very effective tool. Dissociation can happen naturally as well, and if a person dissociates and and dissociates too much, then that becomes a problem. But it's a natural defense mechanism that can be very useful. So by shifting to the, you're just taking and dissociating that condition or that pain and separating it out from that person a bit, and that's a useful thing because then it's not so much a part of who they are all the time. It can be out there a bit, and that mm-hmm. can reduce the pain um, just in itself by just separating it out a little bit more from them right? and letting go of some of the ownership. And then if I don't own it, I'm not as sad to let it go. Right. And it's not, and I have to clarify too for folks, it's not an ownership on a cognitive level 
I mean, people aren't like saying, oh, I own my pain. Right. I, it, it's, it's a very subtle, unconscious thing when you use the word my and your. Mm-hmm. That unconscious level. That's why we're talking about hypnotic language and how that can make a difference in how people internalize things. Right. And that's even more powerful if in the, in the situation we talked about before where some people are in trance in the doctor's office or in a different and altered state. And so things that are happening are often uh, happening on an unconscious level and we might not be aware of it. How come, you know, this person isn't losing weight or how come their blood pressure is high or how come, you know, their blood sugar is always high. And we may unwittingly be contributing to some of that by our language surrounding their treatment. Right. And speaking yeah. of language surrounding treatment, um, there are a lot of things, again, that we think are innocent or think that we've just been trained to say or do that are helpful. They might be part of our daily routine when treating patients, but they can actually sometimes impede healing and sometimes give us the opposite outcome that we actually want. I have some interesting examples of that that are just pretty common things that might be helpful. Um, okay. Um, it, it's I can't tell you how many times I've heard, and probably the listeners have heard as well, that after getting a shot that a healthcare provider might say to the person, oh, this area will probably feel a little sore tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like such an innocuous thing on the one hand, but when you really listen to, we'll probably feel sore tomorrow, you've just actually given a suggestion to that person to have soreness. Right. So if instead you were to say, you know, this area can, this uh, shot, whatever it was that you gave them, can dissipate very quickly through your body, and, you know, you'll find that your arm can stay very comfortable. Right. And then if perchance there were any soreness, you know, that's okay. Right. You know, if you, if you want to give the informed consent and you don't want to send them home and have, them have it hurt and think, oh, my God, something's wrong, mm-hmm. well, if perchance is a nice phrase. Right. So they kind of, on a cognitive level, hear that, oh, that could happen, but yet they're not leaving expecting it to happen. And that's the difference is, you know, set up that expectancy again. Right. You don't want to set up expectancy for a negative outcome if you can avoid it. And informed consent is important, but like you said, it's a way to do it so that Mm -hmm. they can still have a positive outcome and expect a positive outcome. Exactly. Another interesting one is um, a a cardiac patient was... um, chest checked into a ward, and the, and the nurse got them all set up and everything and said, well, just here, here's this call bell. Just ring this bell when you have chest pain. <laughs> well, you know, you're laughing right. because we're hearing in there when you have chest pain. Right. says, oh, my gosh, you're going to. Right. And, and all the person would have to say to help change that expectancy is to say, you can ring this bell if you were to have any chest pain. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't then set the patient up looking for and waiting for it. Right. Whereas when, you're just sitting there, oh my God, it's going to happen when now? And you're kind of looking for it. So in both of these examples, there's a, there's a, a theme again of possibility. So allowing there to be different possibilities or different options, just like when we talked about the pain scale. Well, if you say, oh, how much is your pain from one to 10? You haven't even given somebody the option to not have pain. They can't answer your question. They almost have to find pain just to answer the question. In the same way, you know, we're giving someone an option to not have chest pain or to, you know, not be sore the next day. We're not saying that 
you know, shots don't sometimes hurt. And we're not saying that somebody who's, you know, having a heart attack doesn't have chest pain, but we're saying that there is also another option that, that they are allowed to, you know, they're allowed to have just as a possibility. Right. And um, some people don't realize that because of the way doctors talk or health professionals talk to them, they think they have to come up with something that's wrong or something has to be wrong. Right. Well, and, and there's another kind of t- uh, thing that happens, though, that too, that, that, that kind of imply, uh, apply, excuse me, to some of these situations. And that's the idea of, okay, well, let's try this medication. You know, I talked about try earlier. But what happens often is a particular antibiotic will be used or a particular antidepressant, and the person doesn't have the desired response. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason why there are so many antidepressants and why there are so many antibiotics is because different ones work different for different people and for different problems. So what happens is that sometimes a doctor will be on, you know, antidepressant number four. They'll say, okay, well, let's try this one now, you know. Well, as soon as you say that, then again, the person's like, oh, gosh, this one's probably not going to work either. Well, instead, right. what would be really helpful for healthcare providers to hear is that, yes, there are times meds aren't going to work for somebody and you need to use a different one. And that's how you say it. It's to say, well, you know, not all meds work on all different situations. That's why we have different ones to choose from. So obviously that was not the right one for you at this time. So we're going to use this one now. Mm-hmm. We're going to use and this it, one. Yeah, instead of we're going to try this one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it, it makes it, um, it explains it as a way that's like much more hope-inducing. Yeah. For a person, and that again, going back to that positive expectancy, positive gives them hope expectancy. that this one's going to be the one. And one thing a lot of patients tell me too is when they give me stories about how they've been treated, they say they are treated like guinea pigs, and they don't like it. And I well, think a that, lot of that feeling comes from let's try this, let's try this. Right. Exactly. I can't tell you that when I was younger, before I really understood the, the nuances of hypnotic language, I remember as a teenager and in my early 20s, going to the doctor and feeling like exactly that, like, oh, my gosh, I'm a guinea pig. They don't really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand why that was. And then I realized one time when I heard the doctor say try, I'm like, it's that word. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. <laughs> it's that word, try. Exactly. They don't know Yoda. No, there's no try. There's just do or not do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, it's, it's, it, you know, it, it's really an interesting word to start working on eliminating from one's language. Even, yeah, even outside of the healthcare context, just in general. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, I have, um, if we could switch to a little bit different word, when you said that, it triggered a, a sort of memory for me of something that I think is really an interesting word for outside the healthcare as well as inside the healthcare, mm-hmm. and that's the word but. But and and how we use the words but and and okay and um, you know um, anybody that's out there that's been a student has written a paper you know done an essay or something at some point in time and so I'm going to give back a, a, a test or a paper to you all and as I'm handing it to you I want you to hear me talking directly to you and say you did a really nice job on this but you could work on this section here a little bit more mm-hmm okay. And yeah. the majority of people will be like, oh, I didn't do so good. Yeah, yeah. Now, I want you to kind of, listeners, I want you to wipe that out of your head and hear me okay. hand you another paper. And this time I'm going to say pretty much the same thing and see if this feels any different. You did a really nice job on this, 
paper, and you could work on this section here a little more. I feel like I did well. I believe you the second time. Exactly, because but, when you say the word but, everything you said before it, on the unconscious level, swiped out. Right. And when you say and, they're both inclusive. So whether it's in medicine or in life in general, understanding and purposely using but and and is is really helpful. I remember uh, when my kids were little, and again, I didn't have this wonderful wisdom at this time, and I would tell them to go clean their rooms, and then, I, of course, as any parent would, I'd come do the inspection after they cleaned. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'd say, well, you did a good a pretty good job here, but, you know, what's that under the bed and what's that over by that desk? And, <laughs> and my daughter used to say to me, I feel like I never did a good job. And I'm like, no, you did a great job. And she's like, well, did you see? I don't feel like it. And then I realized, ah, and what's under that bed mm-hmm. instead of but. And I used to always just say but. So all they heard was the negative. Right. And so that works for your kids, whether you're a teacher, a parent, a doctor, I mean, any place. But in the end, it's really an interesting difference in language. Yeah. And doc- doctors can use but, and nurses can use but very, very effectively, too. How? So that's, that's not a word to just eliminate. It's a word to, be, to pay attention to. Okay. So you have to give informed consent. Okay? okay. And, you know, unfortunately, informed consent is never good stuff. <laughs> so right. Something that could happen. And so... So let's say a person's getting ready to have a surgery, you know, and so typically, and, it, and unfortunately, it's usually one of the last things they hear at the end of a visit often, unfortunately, but mm-hmm. typically it will go something like, well, you know, we need to give you informed consent and you need to know that, that you know, during this procedure, there's possibilities of negative outcomes and that, you know, sometimes, you know, a bladder could get nicked or this could happen or that could happen or with any surgery with anesthesia, you know, it's always the risk of death. You know, right. and, and then I've had patients come into my office saying, oh, my God, I think I'm going to die, and I'm writing my will to get ready for this surgery. And it's because they've internalized, they think they're going to die, because that's one of the last things they heard, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to give the informed consent, but you can give it very differently, and you can say, you know, with, with all procedures, we need to tell you some of the things that have sometimes happened to some people. Right, I like and that. And here are some of the, you know, some things that have happened at, at, at some time. And so it sort of distances it a bit. And mm-hmm. you can list the things. And then, you know, we have to always tell you that with anesthesia, there's always that risk of death. But mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. young, you're healthy. We have every reason to believe that you're going to do wonderfully well. And now so, they leave feeling they're going to do wonderfully well. But they've heard the informed consent. They know the possibilities on an right. intellectual level. But emotionally, they've internalized on that unconscious level the positive piece. And even if they're not young, you know, they could be 90 years old. And you say, you know, you've done well with surgeries before. We have every reason to believe you're going to do great with this one, too. Right. So you just find something to focus on that's a positive about this person and this procedure to put as the last thing they hear. So, but we believe and we feel. And, and the reality is... No doctor or medical practitioner is going to do a, a surgery or a procedure on somebody that they don't really think will be helpful. That should be the is. case. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? That said, that should be the case. You are that right. That should be the case, right. Yeah. So if you don't, you know, so, so there's always some reason that you could put at the end of how and why it should be helpful because otherwise you shouldn't be doing the procedure. Right. Theoretically. <laughs> Does that make sense? 
make sense? It does make sense. And it, uh, it, it ties in again, those two themes, positive, uh, positive expectancy and also shifting the focus. So, uh, but I have every reason to believe you're, you're going to do well. It, you know, you're shifting the focus away from that previous statement by using the but saying, you know, there's a possibility of death, but, and then ending with that, that note of positivity that people need and that it goes into the procedure. So now when they have the surgery or the procedure, then they are expecting a positive outcome. And we already know that what you focus on expands, what you water grows and, you know, what you feed grows. Mm-hmm. So that, that positivity will do wonders for them, not only during the procedure or surgery, but then also um, for right. healing. And, and it can work in, on so many things, even as small as a shot. Yes. You know, um, there's a couple things that people often say about when they give shots that just drive me crazy. One is, oh, it'll be like a little bee sting. Mm-hmm. Why, what about that is positive? I mean, I, you know, <laughs> if, you're, especially if you're allergic to bees, and I don't think a bee sting is comfortable, and I also find that if I get stung by a bee, it hurts for four or five days. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to hurt for four or five days, right? So, so I think that, I don't know where that got started in medicine, but but that's just not a really good description. Right. Um, and then, and then people will also say, you know, and you'll probably have some soreness in that area tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, neither one of these sets up a good expectancy, you know. Right. And so you could say things instead, like, you know, as you relax that arm, it's amazing how easily the needle will slide right through, as to be barely noticeable. I like that. You know, and just take a few breaths, relax that arm, and, you know, the medicine should just dissipate through your body very quickly, and, you know, maybe a little warm, but, you know, for the most part, you'll find it'll be Mm -hmm. amazingly comfortable. I like that a lot. We have about two minutes left. Uh, One thing I like, too, and I'll... with the warming sensation, because a lot of times people will say you'll feel the stick in a burn. And mm-hmm. we say that so frequently, a stick in a burn. I like the way you say the needle can just slide in. And then um, some people might feel, some people feel a pleasant warming sensation after the needle is inserted. Mm-hmm. Same thing. And yeah. And it's, but it's, it's a very different way to frame it. And people feel the warmth. Yeah. They go, Oh yeah, there's the warmth instead of, Oh, that's burning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's really minor changes that can make huge differences in perception. Yeah, minor changes that make huge differences. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, as I say, the other thing about that that's mm-hmm. interesting, too, is the, um, the just even just take a breath and let the arm relax. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the things I've had doctors or nurses say to me, uh, for whoever, it's not only doctors usually, it's nurses and or uh, people that are working in the labs, when they draw blood to give a shot, one of the first things they've been saying lately is, do you ever faint when you get a shot? <laughs> well, there's a bad suggestion. Right. <laughs> and um, so I find that to be, you know, like, I mean, I've, I've, every time somebody says that to me, I'm like, well, why don't you just ask if you're okay with getting, you know, have you right. had shots before and has it gone okay? Right. If it That's hasn't, wrong. they'll tell you. But you don't have to suggest to everybody that they'll faint. <laughs> right. Right. They will offer, and they always do offer that information if it's present. But a lot of times, again, just a neutral question or a positive mm-hmm. question. Has exactly. it gone well? Have you had shots before? Has it gone well? Exactly. Instead of, 
do you faint when you catch shots? <laughs> like, like, this is a normal occurrence. We expect Right, it. right. Well, I don't normally, but now that you suggested it, I might, you know. I might, I might go there. I might go there. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is great. Um, we have to pause here for a commercial break. When we come back, we will talk, just we'll give some more examples about hypnotic language and how it can be used to enhance patients' healing. And like I said before, no matter what your profession is, you can take this information and make a change in your language with your clients or your, you know, even your family, whoever it is, in order to improve the, the character, the quality of your life and those around you. So stay tuned. You're listening to Mastermind. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Do you feel you have a bigger life's purpose than you're currently living? Of course you do. Activate your passion as you tune in to Sovereign Self with host Zofia Renea Morales. Become the conscious creator of your own life. Connect with your most powerful and purposeful self in order to make big things happen for you now. Zofia and her guests are doing this every day and are sharing how you can step into this power too. Listen to Sovereign Self every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. You are listening to Mastermind with Dr. Rebecca. To reach out to us during the live show, please call in to 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or you can send an email to Dr. Huey at lifthealing.com. Now, back to Mastermind. And welcome back to Mastermind. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca, and we are here with Dr. Holly Forrester-Miller. I said it right the third time. And we are talking about different suggestions, hypnotic language that can improve outcomes and help promote healing for health professionals. And uh, in a broader sense, how we can use our language differently to enhance our lives and the lives of those around us. Before the break, we talked a little bit about reframing uh, our expectations from surgical procedures or uh, from 
um, just in office procedures. And I just want to revisit just a, another example of um, something that I've experienced uh, both personally and with patients where a lot of times we tell doctors or doctors tell patients, you know, this will you'll take four to six weeks to heal or expect to be home for two weeks in pain or, or whatever it is. And um, I know, you know, personally, I had shoulder surgery and I healed very quickly. It was because I did not take those suggestions and I just decided, you know, that I would heal. And I and I do the same for my patients. I might say something like, you may be surprised at how quickly your body returns to normal. And again, we don't know how long it's going to take for, for them to get better. But to set up that positive expectancy uh, for for healing is important. Yeah, and I have a great story that connects to that, 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 that talks about that, but also at the same time shows how powerful healthcare providers' words are. You know, because mm-hmm. one of the things people don't realize is that when you have a healthcare provider that you trust, people actually turn a lot of their power over to that person. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that the healthcare providers realize that. So this example is um, when I, I first moved um, I lived in West Virginia for a while. When I first moved there, I was at a faculty meeting, and I said, you know, we've just moved here. We need a new doc. Anybody got some good recommendations for a good, you know, family doc? And this one guy said, oh, I have the best doctor ever. I'm like, really? Well, okay, so tell me why he's the best doctor ever. And he said, well, years ago, and now we're talking, this is like 35 years ago, so a lot of this information is going to sound weird in today's standards of cancer care, but he said, um, well, a third, you know, I had this stomach problems and stomach pain, and so my doctor ran some tests, and he said, well, it's either a rare stomach virus or it could be a stomach cancer, but it's pretty invasive to test for the cancer. So, but if it's the virus, he said, in six weeks, you'll feel fine. He said, you know, it was incredible. He said, six weeks to the day, I was fine. <laughs> now, how absurd is that? You know, what virus goes exactly six weeks to this day? All right. And, and, and so I had to laugh. And, of course, I did not go to that doctor. Right. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it really shows the power of the mind and this suggestion that was given to this man. And that's exactly what he took hold of and followed to the letter. Mm-hmm. So realizing the power of that is important. The other piece um, that kind of ties with what you were saying that I like people to hear is that, you know, our bodies really are healing machines. Yes. And I think in medicine, sometimes people forget that our bodies are designed to heal and that medicine can help them heal, but they really have healing abilities already. So to be able to say, well, you know what, you'll be surprised that, you know, you may, you know, heal more quickly than you think. Mm-hmm. It allows for that increasing and enhancing the body's natural healing mechanism to kick in quicker. Right. And, of course, with hypnosis, we make all kinds of suggestions about healing quickly and well, and there's all kinds of people that are supposed to, you know, be six weeks post-op before they can drive. They're out driving a week later or a week and a half mm-hmm. later and things like that because the suggestions are about quick recovery and focusing the attention and the energy of the body to that quick healing Right. And we know the body, it's a healing machine. It knows how to do it. So why would we limit it and say, well, a body, I know you can heal, but let's wait a few weeks first. And then, I mean, there is, yeah. there are natural processes that have to occur. So I don't want you to think I don't know that, but um, a lot of, a lot of healing has to do with suggestion for uh, not only can someone get better, uh, but also, you know, how quickly they can get better and 
how easily they can get better. A lot of it is is mental. Right. And there's, and there's two words in there that, that I think you kind of sort of used in there without even noticing maybe that are really important for healthcare providers to, to hear, and that's that you can heal quickly is important because yes. that's a possibility. But even yes. more important is that you will. Yes. Because that implies action. So one offers the possibility, so that's good, and then the mm-hmm. other offers the actual action of it happening. So you can and will improve quickly. Yes. So those are kind of important words that we use hypnotically that are useful. And, and, and if, I could, if I could go into a, if I could go into my sort of least favorite word, can I take yes, that in? Yes, please do. do that? Okay. <laughs> so my least favorite word, well, I should say, I don't know, try is maybe my least favorite. My second favorite, or maybe equal with try, is the word not. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a, a common thing in our language to talk about what we can't do instead of what we can do. And it's, it's a cultural thing across Everybody in the U.S., it seems to me, not mm-hmm. just the medical field, where people will say things like, don't smoke, don't eat sweets. Well, you know, as soon as you say don't and whatever follows it, you're actually making a suggestion for that. So right. don't eat sweets. And, you know, each one of you listening to this can think, what sweet just popped into my head? I mean, I'm thinking mm-hmm. brownies myself. But Skittles. It's okay. The unconscious mind cannot process a negative. So don't think of a pink elephant. Mm -hmm. And boom, there's the pink elephant, right? Mm -hmm. So now you have to work to take the pink elephant away to not think about it. So when you say to people, don't drink, don't smoke, don't eat sweets, and, and, and when they say it to themselves, people who are anxious say, okay, don't get nervous. Mm-hmm. Boom, now you've started the process of being nervous. Right. So starting to teach people to talk about the outcome they desire mm. rather than what they don't want. So instead of don't eat sweets, it's, oh, I'm going to really be a- attracted to and enjoy eating fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Or um, instead of don't get nervous, oh, I'm going to take a breath and just be calm and relaxed. You know, instead of don't smoke, it's so nice to just breathe the wonderful, clean, fresh air. You know, so suggesting mm-hmm. what you want to have happen is a really big shift in making behavior change and in, and in maintaining um, change in the direction that you want. Because otherwise, when you use that don't this, you're then fighting whatever that is constantly. Right, because we brought up the picture of what we don't want, and then we have to get rid of it. We're fighting against ourselves almost. Exactly, exactly. So that's a really important word. The word not is a um, really important one to let go mm-hmm. of. I mean, there are some ways to use it useful, but they're really, really subtle and kind of tricky to, to get around. Um, you know, if there's some side effects, you know, you could sometimes, like, if someone's prescribing caffeine, for example, which is sometimes prescribed for migraines and things like mm-hmm. that, and the side effects of caffeine can be being jittery and nervous, mm-hmm. you, you could use the word not very skillfully by saying, I'm going to prescribe this caffeine for the migraines, and you may find that you're not quite as comfortable and relaxed as normal. Mm-hmm. And you're actually, to the unconscious mind, suggesting being comfortable and relaxed. Right, so, right, right. So you yeah. can use... You can use not at times, but you need to be very, very thoughtful about it. 
Okay. So not in, in don't, don't smoke, not in don't. So those negatives, um, is there a way that when I'm talking to someone and they are using, so somebody will come to me and the same thing, they'll, they'll want to stop, uh, stop smoking, but they don't come to me with the desired outcome. Um, they want to uh, stop eating sweets and all the things that you mentioned. Right. How, how can I help them to shift their focus and their mindset in order? Great question. Yeah, great question. So what I do, because I have people come in my office all the time with that exact issue, and I'll say, okay, so, you know, as soon as you say don't eat sweets or don't smoke, you know, it triggers thinking about that, doesn't it? And they'll kind of look at me, and I'll I'll do the don't Mm -hmm. think of a pink elephant, and they kind of laugh. I'll go, so Mm -hmm. what is it you really do want? Right. Let's start talking about what you do want, and I'll help them to reframe their own language. So, okay, okay, so you want to eat more fruits and vegetables. All right, so from now on, you're going to just really focus on how delicious and enjoyable fruits and vegetables are. Ooh. Or And anxiety is, I, I mean, if this is really, really big with people with anxiety um, in terms of helping them to start thinking about, yeah, okay, I can stay calm. In this mm-hmm. particular performance issues, you know, perform stage uh, anxiety or performance anxiety, being able to sort of say, I can take a breath and I can go out there and give my speech and say calm and collected, or calm and relaxed, whatever words work for them. Mm-hmm. Not so don't be nervous. <laughs> right. Don't be nervous. <laughs> so there are certain, certain, so in anxiety, um, calm, relaxed, those suggestions for someone who's constantly anxious, uh, making a, it a point to use words of relaxation and of calm for those people. Calm and calm and or centered. I can stay calm and centered. So it depends on the individual, which words work best, yeah. but you know, relaxed or calm, centered, or I can be focused. You know, some people think a little bit of anxiety is helpful for them to perform well. Well, to reframe that instead of anxiety to be, I can be focused. I can be centered and Mm -hmm. focused. Centered and focused. And for someone who wants to lose weight, uh, some words that might help, what are some suggestive words that we could use instead of don't eat this or that? Don't eat this or that or, you know, don't eat, you know, cut back on your portions, things like that. You know, so cutting back on the portions is, you know, is not too bad. And, but you could even say to them, you'll be amazed at what small quantities of food will help you feel satisfied and satiated. Hmm. Wow. And that I like you that. can really take and eat each bite slowly and really taste it and enjoy each bite. When you enjoy each bite, it's amazing what little amounts of food really let you have that pleasure of eating. Mm-hmm. Because most people who overeat think, oh, this tastes really good. Let me have more. More, right. So you start talking about less and that being very satisfying. Right. I like that, shifting the focus. And then it's about quality, not quantity. Right. And feeling satisfied and satiated. Right. Those are things that people are looking for with food. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I guess one more, we have about three minutes. Um, one more major thing I would think, and this kind of goes along with high blood pressure, but uh, some suggestions for lowering the blood pressure. I think calm is, is still a good one because a lot mm-hmm. of uh, 
you know, blood pressure issues are due to high stress and um, anxiety. Any other language around blood pressure that might be useful? Well, there's language, there's also behaviors. I mean, constantly kind of throughout the day taking a kind of cleansing breath and taking like a 30-second break every hour even. (sighs) Just bring it down. Just take a breath and just bring it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just stop and take a breath and say, I'm going to just bring it down. And, and that's a kind of good way for bringing the blood pressure yes. down. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and just doing that throughout the day. So it's an ongoing retraining the body to sort of function at that calmer level, kind of right. kind of relaxing that whole parasympathetic nervous system, sort of just, ah, just take a little break, calm it down, slow it down. Right. And those are good oh. words, calm it down, slow it down. Ah, you know, let go of tension. There's another good kind of <laughs> words if you're holding tension throughout the day. Let it go. Letting it go. Mm-hmm. Well, I wish we had more time. We're just about at a close. I wanted to um, just ask you, so this is great information, and there's a ton of information online. Can you just let us know for healthcare professionals or anyone else who's interested where we can find more information about clinical hypnosis? Yeah, well, and the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, and the, the acronym we use is ASH, A-S-C-H, um, is a wonderful place for lots of information and it, a place for training if people want to get more training. And they um, only train people with either a healthcare license or in graduate training towards a healthcare license. Okay. So it's, it's excellent training, and the website is ASCH.net. And on that site, you can find out all about their training programs. You can also, there's a place where you can click to find a clinician, and you can find people throughout the country that have been, you know, properly trained and are members of ASH. The other thing is that ASH offers a couple times a year, and and always at our annual conference in March, a workshop called The Power of Words. So Mm -hmm. if somebody, you know, we have regional workshops all around the country all year long, um, teaching and training people in the use of clinical hypnosis. And if you want to just learn more about language and not necessarily hypnosis, the Power of Words is a wonderful one-day Saturday workshop. Um, it's part of the national conference that will be going on in San Antonio at the end of this month, March 28th through the 30th, whatever that Saturday is in there, Okay. Um, that people could sign up for and learn more about the whole language that we're talking about. Okay, that's very, that's really good. Um, I might have to check that out too, um, the power of words. So thank you so much, Dr. Forrester Miller, for joining us today. Um, thank you next, for having me. Oh, yeah, this was fun. I wish we had more time. Next week, you should um, listen in. We are going to be tripling our memory power. So next week, we're going to be talking about memory. So oh, stay, t- well, not stay tuned because we're leaving, but we'll see you again next week for Mastermind. Thank you for tuning in to Mastermind. Please join Dr. Rebecca for another show next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We'll talk again next week. 